Hello and welcome to the Collier Democratic Roundup, the official podcast of the Collier Democratic Party. My name is Jeff Spencer and I'm the vice chair of the Collier Democratic Party and the host of this podcast. Thank you guys for clicking on. Today we're going to discuss Biden's first 100 days in office, give him a grade, spoiler alert, he did pretty well. Uh, We'll talk about the census and what redistricting means for the Democrats and we'll look at the efforts of local anti-abortion advocates and their push to make Naples a sanctuary city for the unborn. Plus, we will end on moments of positivity. But before we get into all of that, here is some Democratic Party news. First, it is with great sadness that we announce the resignation of our state committee woman, Sarah McFadden. Sarah has been a huge asset to the local party over the last five years. She has run twice for office and made huge strides in a very difficult district, growing the party with all of her efforts, both as a candidate and as our state committee woman. She will remain as a precinct committee person, but she is taking a much-deserved break. So a huge thank you to Sarah for all of her efforts over the last five years. And with Sarah's resignation, we have to replace her position, and we are excited to announce that Jane Schletwig has agreed to become our new state committee woman. Jane is a precinct committee woman out of Marco. She is vice president of the Democratic Women's Club of Marco, and she is the Region 7 chair for the Democratic Women's Club of Florida. Jane has worked closely with the leadership of the Collier Democratic Party over the last four years, and we're extremely excited for her to join our leadership team. So congratulations to Jane and welcome aboard. The Democratic County Chairs Association met for the first time this past month, and we had State Party Chair Manny Diaz and his Executive Director Marcus Dixon on to update us on all the things going on at the state level. They are doing a great job of getting the party back moving in the right direction. They have proposed an annual budget of $12 million, focusing heavily on voter registration and communication. They have budgeted money to combat what will prove to be a contentious redistricting process. And they've had to deal with a lot of unforeseen issues that have arisen over the last few months after the election. They have righted the ship and they're pushing forward. So it was uh, very exciting to hear them talk about all the progress they've made and uh, we look forward to working with them as we move forward. Here are the upcoming meetings to put on your schedule. Thursday, May 6th at 6.30 p.m. is the monthly DEC meeting. This is the business meeting of the party. It is open to the public. Tuesday, May 11th at 7 is the monthly meeting of the Democratic Women's Club of Marco. I will be speaking at this meeting along with our outgoing state committee woman, Sarah McFadden. We will be discussing the legislative session and voting trends that we're seeing around Collier County. And then Monday, May 17th at 6.30 is the monthly meeting of the Collier County Democratic Club. All of these items can be found on our website. If you have interest in attending any of them, please reach out to our secretary, Francie Hunt, and she will be able to get you access or get you in touch with the person who can get you access. So please remember to volunteer and donate. We are an all-volunteer organization, and we rely on your generosity to maintain the website, produce this podcast, and promote the agenda of the Democratic Party throughout Collier and all of Southwest Florida. So please donate a little bit of time or some money to our efforts. It is greatly appreciated. So that's all for right now. We'll be right back after a short break. 
the Collier Democratic Party want to take a moment to thank all of the volunteers and supporters that helped Collier County have the highest Democratic turnout of any county in the entire state. With your help, we hit 91% turnout. But our work is not done. We have to continue building our coalition to defeat Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio in 2022. We may be rid of Donald Trump, but there are many who aided and abetted his incompetence. We need you to make a donation to help us prepare for the next election. Please go to www.callyourdems.org. That's www.callyourdems.org and click on the red donate button. We thank you for your support. All right, we're here with Amber and Linda. Hey guys, how are you guys doing tonight? Super. Doing fantastic. <laughs> Great. We're going to talk about three things tonight. We're going to talk about Biden's first 100 days, the census information, which doesn't look great for Democrats at this point. And then we'll talk about this pesky little sanctuary city for the unborn that the Naples City Council is thinking about. But let's uh, dive into the first topic. President Biden has reached the first 100 days of his presidency. And I think the overarching message coming out would be 40 years of experience helpful for old Joe. He promised 100 million shots administered of the COVID vaccine. He hit 200 million. He passed a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill that's put money in Americans' pockets. It makes healthcare more affordable. It reduces child poverty by half. He's currently marshalling a $2 trillion infrastructure bill that uh, focuses heavily on combating climate change. He signaled the end of America's longest war by setting a withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan by September 11th. And he's reversed most of the more offensive Trump policies with executive orders, such as the Muslim ban, separation of children at the border, reentering the Paris Climate Agreement, and did all of that without getting into a Twitter fight or inciting a mob to invade the Capitol. So, guys, let's just go with this. What kind of grade would you give President Biden on his first 100 days in office? Um, I think that it's been pretty remarkable now i feel like obviously you the comparison between where we were and where we are now there was a lot of room for growth so i think some of that we're seeing there and just like you know some of these measures we shouldn't have even been having to do in the first hundred days anyways like rejoin the paris climate accords and things like that but i'm glad that we've at least brought some of um some of those things back up online um, and I think really, I mean, as far as just COVID is concerned, just for that alone, I think you've got to give an A for what they've done. Um, I mean, we all saw the cluster of 2020 and how everything was mishandled or more, probably more aptly, um, purposely not handled. So um, the fact that it appears that we have people in charge who are doing the uh, necessary work to get as many vaccines out to as many people um, is is fantastic. And unfortunately, they're now have an uphill battle of damage done from 2020 and the all the uh, negative COVID press on, you know, people who are who wear masks and get shots or sheep or whatever. So they have an uphill battle that um, I don't, I'm not sure how they're going to overcome. And I think that's going to be a more difficult 
difficult uh, task that they're going to have to face in the coming months, but I would, I would give it an A so far. Linda, what do you think? Well, Jeff, one thing he hasn't done is play 19 rounds of golf in his first 100 days. Biden actually just played his first round of golf just the other day. So I'm going to say that is his top achievement in the first 100 days. I'm kidding. That's not. Um, But I'm going to say yay to not playing golf a shit ton. Like, you know, the former president. But if you're asking my honest opinion about Biden in his first 100 days, I don't think I'm capable of saying anything negative about it. Whether or not that is, you know, rather partisan of me to say, I think he has done a great job. I think that coming out of the gate, he has been making motions of being the most progressive president we've had in eons and truly saying, and I think his press secretary has been, Jen Psaki has been really, really instrumental in, in kind of pushing the narrative out that these are the things that America has to do. These are the things that I got voted in by America to do. And so ask yourself, if we can't come to an agreement with our fellow Republicans, then it may not be because they want to do anything to help the situations that are going on in our country. So really, truly, you know, what we hear from the Republicans right now is just well, you know, he said he was going to work across the aisle. I am applauding the fact that, yes, he's trying to, but he's not going to be hijacked by Republican Party hijinks and lack of nonpartisanship. So, um, you know, I like the things he's done. I think he's working hard. He's done quite a bit of executive orders. That was one of the first criticisms that Fox News has levied against him. He has done a whopping 42, I believe, is is the number, which exceeds, I think, the statistic I read um, more than any other president since Truman. So, but again, I'm going to say I'm a little bit jaded in the fact that I agree because a lot of things that he was doing were to counteract a lot of the things that were done by the Trump administration. So if I'm going to give him a grade, I'm going to give him an A++. Yeah, I, you know, given everything he's done, it's hard not to give him an A on um, substance, on just getting things done. Um, I think he's gotten an A plus on tone. Yeah, um, that's just been, God, what a change. Allowing us all to be able to not worry about what's going on uh, in the White House uh, is has been a very, very positive change but i think if this continues over the next two years this this level of of success and if he's able to get this truth two trillion dollar infrastructure bill passed he is going to go down as one of the most consequential presidents in in the united states history on those two things alone just on bills passed but then what he's done from a tonal standpoint to reset the country back to this is what a president should act like, I think can't be overstated. Um, so I think he gets an A plus from a tone standpoint. Uh, he gets an A minus on my part 
from the policy standpoint. I He's not handled the immigration at the border situation all that great. Um, and his refugee, uh, the his position on increasing the number of refugees was a little bit of a debacle, but those are minor in comparison to everything that he accomplished. Uh, and I think he'll figure it out and, and reset. I, you know, Linda, you and I were talking about this before the start of recording, but president Biden is the first president we've had really since Ford who had significant Washington experience uh, coming into the job. Every single other president was either a governor uh, or, in Trump's case, a business person. And there wasn't really, you know, Ford and Nixon were the only two that had significant Washington experience in the last 50 years. And it's amazing how having that level of experience pays off when you're in the presidency. He knows tonally what to happen. He's not getting bogged down in, you know, believing that he can change Washington. I think a lot of the times you looked at, uh, you know, this is particularly true with Clinton and Obama. Yeah, same Both Obama. Of them came in thinking that they could uh, negotiate or talk their way into uh, changing the way Washington works. And I think they delayed some of the progress they could have achieved by doing that. And Biden has been there for 40 years and he knows the players and he's not going to waste any time negotiating with a set of people who he knows is not operating in good faith. So if I was going to give him a gray, A, a minus on policy, A plus on tone and uh, voters out there, you should recognize that hiring someone who knows what they're doing is in your best interest. So please remember that. And I think also um, Joe Biden in particular not only has the experience in Washington, but he also has the relationships on all sides of the aisle. And not that that means that, you know, Mitch McConnell's going to be having uh, brunch with him or anything. But you see that there are very strong uh, Republican uh, senators that really think he's a fabulous guy. I've said wonderful things about him, even though they are the exact opposite in most ways. Um, so I think that th that's, that is a big value that he brings that he can hopefully be able to, to uh, talk to some of them uh, to be, to be seen. I just, I don't, I don't think that any of his previous relationships are going to help him out in this arena right now. It is so polarized right now. The party's still hijacked by well, former president yeah. trump they're figuring I, their own stuff out you know they're and very very slowly i don't think they're gonna they're they they have showed no desire to come across the aisle whether or not they're saying that you know they can say that joe biden is a nice guy all they want and i think their demeanor towards him is a lot different than it was towards obama but i don't think that's going to help him at all right yeah. now nobody wants to work across the aisle right now nobody Maybe wants not. to go against trump right now but you have so. the you have like the liz cheney's and uh you know a few higher ups in the republican party that really are kind of drawing a line in the sand so i mean we we just have to see how that all 
all shakes out because yeah certainly the majority of the party is not willing to to uh upset any of the trump base but um i you know we'll see yeah and i think that one thing to both of y'all's points is that he does have the relationships but i think him having the relationships means that he knows which people are legitimately would legitimately come over and compromise and which people are never going to compromise and so he goes into it not wasting time he says okay we'll have a conversation if you want to come on board give us some good ideas but if you're not acting in good faith we're going to move forward no hard feelings thanks for thanks for the opportunity to talk and he moves on we've mentioned this before on the podcast but i think that was a major lesson learned from the eight years of the Obama administration and constantly trying to get bipartisanship and working across the aisle and just being completely shut down by McConnell and uh, the Republicans the entire time. And I think they've learned that lesson. At least it appears that the way that they're approaching things now that they know that, you know, yeah, that would be nice, but that's not necessary to put what's needed forward to get everything back on track. They're just, they're trying to figure out the workarounds. I mean, the, the Recovery Act, his major bill that he signed his first hundred days, um, you know, one of the most ambitious since the Roosevelt era had to go through reconciliation because guy, I don't think he can find 10 Republican votes right now. There's no one that are, that is willing to do that for him, regardless of the relationships that he's had. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Yeah, I no, just don't. It's not, there's not ten. Hell, I, I don't think he can get five. Yeah, I don't think he can get two. <laughs> that kind uh, of segues to the next topic. <laughs> yeah, and so we're going to talk about the census. Uh, the census information is in, uh, and the outlook's not that great for Democrats. Um, Republicans already control 30 state legislatures out of 50. And uh, those bodies are the ones who are in control of redistricting, which happens every 10 years after the uh, each census, uh, which means that there are 30 state legislatures out there poised to redraw lines that are favorable to Republicans. But the census has also showed that Democratic strongholds like California and New York are losing congressional seats and Republican controlled states like Texas, North Carolina, and our own Florida are all gaining seats. Texas is gaining two seats. Uh, Many political experts were predicting Republicans would uh, be able to reclaim the house in 2022 simply by redistricting alone. And that was before the census data came out. So I don't really have a question guys on this one. I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, the idea of redistricting, and the fact that it looks like Republicans are going to be able to not only redraw lines that are favorable to them, but also to pick up seats that uh, that were in Democratic states like California and New York. Whoever decided these rules, it's just completely uh, unbelievable. Well, I guess it's Jerry, isn't it? Um, Gary. Gary, actually. Yes, Gary. Um, the fact that... Now, Correct me if I'm wrong. Some states 
don't some states have a body like a bipartisan body that does that deals with redistricting where other states have just the legislature can do it willy-nilly yes and the states that have that uh, bipartisan redistricting are states controlled by democrats oh wow what they it's almost like they like to be fair and like to make sure that everybody has a chance to vote fairly interesting Yeah, I mean, this has been going on for decades and this has been put in place. And, you know, to their credit, this has been, uh, along with like uh, packing courts, this has been a Republican, um, a major push in the party since the 80s to do these kinds of things and get in the power so that they can control it from this um, just by having a minority and being in control of a particular state. And, I mean, I think it's disgusting. I don't care if whatever state it is. There might be states where it ends up making uh, um, more Republicans. And if that's the case, that's fine. I feel like it should just be fair. And these, I mean, you, we've all seen these uh, redistrict maps of just completely, uh, you know, I don't even think a mathematician could could figure out the equation for these shapes that they're making. I mean, they're, they're insane. Um, So yeah, that's disappointing. And I don't know what we need to do to combat these kinds of institutional Republican power grabs that have been, have been in place for a while, but I really think that needs to be a focus. We need to think like that because that's how they're thinking. And again, that doesn't mean we need to, to do the same thing that they're doing and make it unfair, but at least, you know, try to balance it out um, because there's no way. I mean, we are a minority world country um, by these, the Senate and the courts and the States. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's showing in our, in our policies that are being passed that are not helping the majority of Americans and what the majority of Americans want. So can I can I just can can I ask is there any type of legal recourse to attack this recent census? So well there is talk about right now because of all the shenanigans that the yes. Trump administration did uh that there's a concern that uh Latino uh Latino citizens and Latino residents were undercounted. Uh, and if you want to feel even worse, the state of New York missed get get keeping that one seat that they lost by 89 people. Yeah, I read that. That's so, that's just a very slim margin. And add the the pandemic and then add people moving around because of the pandemic. And I mean, how could it have been an accurate census this time around? I mean, not trying to be like that Democrat, but legitimately. I mean, there was so much talk in the news about the census and finishing it early and then the census people were confused and then you know trying to deploy census people during a global pandemic i feel like there's a lot of you know what ifs if we really want to push this and and are democrats talking about pushing this i think everything is open at at the moment uh, to it's it's so new the information has come out so recently that uh, there isn't anything formal out there but i think everything's kind of on the table on terms of how to do it i know back in 2010 when the florida republicans drew the lines 
then very much to their advantage uh, that the Democratic Party and others had to fight the uh, lines that were drawn and they actually won in court uh, in 2011 uh, to have the lines redrawn. Uh, but at the time, we still had a, a uh, favorable uh, Supreme Court, Florida Supreme Court at that time uh, from, you know, this was been 10 years after the last Democratic governor. So we still actually had control of the the state Supreme Court, which is not the case now. So here in the state of Florida, it is going to be tough. The Republicans are going to draw uh, very favorable lines. Um, not that that's anything abnormal for us here in Collier County. We're very used to uh, unfavorable lines because that's what we live in. But I would watch out for areas of Miami-Dade, specifically Miami-Dade, with the inroads that you saw in Mm -hmm. 2020 in Miami-Dade. Watch out for those lines to to shift in a way that could really uh, limit some some democratic strongholds here in the state i i mean i feel like we just uh, sometimes we just sit back and you're like well that's how it is so let's see what happens and i mean i realize there's a process and when we're not in control of the legislature there's not a ton that can be done but it just seems like it's just freaking common sense like it's oh it's so frustrating I, I, you know what, we record these episodes and we had a, a listener talk to us last time after our last episode and she was like, guys, it's like really depressing. <laughs> are, are we depressing? <laughs> and I'm like, we just, we just ended that segment and it was like, oh my God, like literally someone come do an intervention in my closet. Okay. Cause I'm like really, really depressed right now. <laughs> well, it's, I don't want <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not your fault, man. You know, it, it is not, what it is, people. Yeah. Well, it's wanna, like we need to take depressing. that depression that that leads to inaction and feeling like, oh, there's nothing we can do, but yeah. turning that into to action and actually trying to make some changes. I feel yeah. like, and that's, that's thank you, Amber. Well, I, I just, mean, it's 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 important for for the Democrats out here in Collier County, for the Democrats here in the state of Florida to understand that um, inactivity is not going to get us anywhere. And, and us three, you know, we're very active. Jeff, you're the vice chair of the party. You worked your little tiny off, you know, the past couple of years. So there, there's work, there's work to be done, work that can can really bring about results, you know, and I know Jeff, you've always said it, but I think it's important to, to say it again and scream over the rooftops whenever we can. It starts local and builds, you know, right now. Yes, we have a Democrat in the white house and it is amazing and wonderful, but we only have 50 democratic senators right now, not enough for a majority. And that starts here in the state of Florida, where this state elected two absolutely useless people that don't at all listen to the will of Floridians at all, ever. So they're just, you know, concerned with their own interests. So 
that is super important when it comes to the midterms, when it comes to thinking that, no, we do not want DeSantis in office anymore. No, we do not want Rubio. No, we do not want Rick Scott. And that's truly, well, where the work needs to begin. Yeah, and that's the one thing that we can say about, you know, redistricting is that on the Senate level here in the state is that the lines are the lines. They never get redrawn. It's they're not, you know, Florida's not going to take pieces of Georgia away. Um, So we can make a difference on the presidential and the Senate races uh, every single election cycle. There isn't any reason why we can't. Uh, make a difference. And as Linda said, it it happens here locally and every little bit that we can make every single vote that we add to the Senate total. I mean, let's not forget Bill Nelson lost to Rick Scott in 2018 by 12,000 votes, Mm. 12,000 votes out of, I think, 8 million cast Um, 12,000 votes. We can find a thousand people here in Collier County. Right. Uh, and there's 67 counties around the state. Uh, so uh, Florida is a is a tight election and uh, he, he, we made some inroads. I'm very excited about what's happening at the Florida State Party with Manny Diaz. Uh, he had a meeting uh, with the Democratic Chairs Association, which is the chair and vice chair association uh, last week where he came on and spoke about the state legislature. Uh, what's going on in session and also the plans with what the party is doing. So I'm very excited about what they're doing. They have a very aggressive uh, year round plan to spend millions of dollars here in the state, not only in communications, but on the ground voter registration efforts uh, uh, to really get out there and, and do what needs to be done. And, you know, I've been involved in the state party now for 12 years and or in the, Democratic Party for 12 years, and uh, this is the most ro- robust effort that we've seen out of the state party uh, in that time period. So, you know, we've got some positive things happening. We're going to have to weather some some rather negative, you know, rather negative period here, uh, especially here in Florida, where Republicans feel emboldened by the fact that Trump won by three and a half percent and they picked up seats here in the state. But the policies that Biden is pushing for, and we talked about it in the previous segment, the policies that he's pushing for are broadly popular. There's 70 to 75% approval rating on the policies that he's putting forward. So we know that the democratic policies that we're proposing and that we're, we're calling for are popular among members, uh, citizens in the state. We just have to make them aware that voting democratic is the only way you're going to get those policies because they're under the misconception that somehow voting Republican means that they're going to get those policies. And that hasn't happened in 20 years of Republican leadership here in the state of Florida. They've actually worked against every state referendum that Floridians have passed uh, in an effort to undermine the will of the people. So um, get involved. If it upsets you and it, it, and it rightly should get involved, do something uh, positive by volunteering, making phone calls, sending letters. Uh, We always need help. Please, please get involved. If you are 
interested in hearing more about what's going on with the local Democratic Party, the Florida Democratic Party, local candidates, events, and local news, there are a number of ways you can hear from us. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or just check in on our website for all the local Democratic Party info. You can find all of these signups on our website at www.callyourdems.org. That's www.callyourdems.org. Thank you for all the support. We'll move on to the last topic, which unfortunately is also a bit negative. But Republicans here in Collier County are trying to get the Naples City Council to pass an ordinance that will make the Naples area a sanctuary city for the unborn. Uh, The ordinance would make it an offense for anyone to get an abortion, but also would make it an offense to assist in getting abortion. For instance, Uber drivers could be liable for driving someone to an abortion clinic, physicians who perform abortions, and phone operators who assist in finding an abortion clinic. I do want to state that the ordinance does state that nothing would be enforced until the Supreme Court overrules Roe v. Wade, but 23 cities in Texas have passed similar ordinances, and the ACLU has already indicated that they will file suit against those cities who have passed the ordinance. Uh, It did fail to make it onto the council agenda at last week's meeting, but it was by a four to three vote. And those who are advocating for the ordinance continue to protest the decision. And there are rumors that one of the four Naples city councilmen could defect and vote to add it to the agenda. Uh, The local party is formalizing a plan on how to uh, respond to this in the meantime. But guys, really, what do you think this says about Collier County? Well, I, again, I think as with most things, I think that it's, it's a, overall, it's a minority of people who are pushing these extreme measures. And if you were to, I know Collier County is a Republican county, but I still think if you were to poll the county as a whole, it would not be uh, broad, broadly supported, um, you know, but you all, all it takes is getting involved with the the city council and the people in power. I mean, I don't know. It feels to me like this may be completely naive, but it just seems to me like something like this would never happen. But um, I think that we should take all of these things very seriously. I mean, we do have Ave Maria nearby, which he has a very large anti-abortion uh, stance. So, you know, it, it, the thing that, that I think is crazy is that we already have so many laws in place to limit abortions as it is and the majority of people who are getting abortions are doing them out of medical necessity or doing them very very early in the uh in the process so the fact that somebody could be could be charged with a crime for having an abortion where they're or they have to travel across the state in order to deal with a health concern is absurd to me. I I appreciate that these organizations, including this nonprofit organization that's that's pushing for this here in Naples, um, which is called Action for Life. Um, I I appreciate the fact that they would like to 
help people keep their babies. At least I think that's what they want to do. I'm not quite sure because they like to yell that they want to stop the act of abortion, but I don't necessarily hear them proposing any ideas as to how to help unwed mothers, how to help uh, women who, you know, have been raped or molested, thus resulting in a pregnancy, um, you know, how to help people who are, uh, you know, experiencing extreme complications in their pregnancy, thus uh, abortion is their only option medically. Um, so I, I, I don't know if that gets lost in translation. I'm not quite sure. So, but, um, I mean, there's I, already I, laws, you know, I, it's like there, there are there, pretty robust laws nowadays. It's, it's very true. People I, are I, not going in the third trimester and saying, you know, Hey, no, or even second trimester. I mean, it's like, no, it's very true, but that's part of the propaganda that pro-life groups like to, to go out there. So a lot of these pro-life people truly well and believe that people are having abortions in their third trimester, yeah, late term you know, abortions. yeah, late term abortions, which it, it, it's, it's not remotely true unless of course there's a medical reason for that, which are few and far between. So the statistics don't pan out in that particular argument. Um, I, I think that, you know, they're, their auspice of wanting to create a city where, you know, unwed mothers can come and, you know, be helped. I think that would be wonderful. I don't think that's what they're trying to do. I think they're trying to criminalize, criminalize the act of abortion. I think they're like, to, they're wanting to stigmatize those that are searching for abortions uh, or stigmatize anybody that's trying to help them. And, and, you know, as a party, as a person, as a woman with a uterus, you know, I'm, I don't think we should stand for that. I also find it very interesting that these pro-life groups feel so strongly about this, but say, you know, oftentimes they are members of the Republican Party who, you know, for instance, feel that masks are, you know, an assault to their civil liberties. So it's very interesting how don't tell us what to do, but we're be very happy to tell you what to do. Yeah. So I, yeah. you know, the, the, the first thing that that I think about is, A, it's unconstitutional. It's clearly unconstitutional. Roe v. Wade is still standing. You can't ban abortion. Um, and the ACLU has already started to file a lawsuit against the 23 cities who have already passed this ordinance. So by agreeing to this ordinance, all you would be doing is saying, hey, let's spend taxpayer dollars to defend our decision on this in federal court. So it's basically like saying, let's go waste money that we'll right. literally will lose because you can't, you can't do it. It's unconstitutional. And uh, so I, I don't see how, where the, the plus side is on it. And yes, to your point, um, that is consistently, uh, the most frustrating aspect is that uh, anti-abortion proponents are are almost universally Republicans, and if you are so concerned about the life of a child, I think you should be supporting healthcare reform that allows poor, poverty-stricken kids to have healthcare. You should support programs that allow 
poor and underserved communities to have universal child care. So the Republican Party is not interested in doing those things. And um, statistics, statistically, if you look up um, a look up a probably Google this um, a chart of the amount of abortions that are performed during Republican administrations versus Democratic administrations, and it's pretty shocking that the number of abortions always falls during Democratic administrations, always, and it always rises during. Republican administrations and somewhat dramatically. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. And it's, it's proven that if you give people assistance and give them a way that they're not going to choose to do an abortion um, if they have another option right. in most cases. So, um, yeah, I, I always found that just completely hypocritical. Everyone should keep on the lookout for uh, what we are going to do. We are going to be doing phone banking and certain activities to reach out to uh, the city councilmen and women on the Naples City Council to make them aware of uh, our views as the Democratic Democratic, uh, constituents' views of uh, how they should respond to this. Uh, But I would think Republicans and and MPAs should also uh, not want their tax dollars spent on defending an ordinance that is clearly unconstitutional. It's not like Hey, I mean, the Naples City Council, they've got flooding everywhere due to climate change. They've got stuff that they need to be spending money on uh, to help the citizens of Naples deal with stuff. I don't know if it should be going to defending something like uh, a sanctuary city for the unborn. Uh, It doesn't seem like the best use of funds right now. It doesn't Um, seem like there's much of an advantage in an already, you know, conservative area. I don't really see the, the bonus for them, honestly. Right. Crazier things so, can happen. Let's uh, end there. Go move on to the moment of positivity. And as uh, we're trying to do each week on a little bit more uplifting note. Uh, so ignore <laughs> all of that for the next 20 minutes. All the stuff with the unborn uh, sanctuary city status. And Amber, why don't you go ahead and lead us off with your moment of positivity? Sure. So um, my moment of positivity for this week is that um, the number of wild tigers has made a remarkable comeback in five countries in the last decade. Um, There's been ambitious efforts in several of these areas to protect and uh, repopulate the tiger populations, primarily in Bhutan, China, India, Nepal, and Russia. And um, while the numbers are still quite small and alarming, and some of them are definitely still critically endangered, um, they have seen a, a pretty dramatic increase in some, some of the populations doubling in the last decade. So um, that was very exciting. I thought that, that some of these conservation efforts are actually actually making an F making an impact um, despite, you know, you still see terrible news about poaching and uh, deforestation and all these kinds of things. And with globalization, you just feel like it's getting worse and worse and worse. So the fact that when people put an effort into protecting an animal species, and we've seen this, you know, with other ones around the world that it, it actually does make a difference. So that is something I will try to sleep with tonight in my thoughts so I can have nice dreams. Awesome. Nicely done, Amber. 
Linda? Well, really, I feel <laughs> that like that's... sound positive. <laughs> no, it, it actually totally sounds positive. I wanted to potentially throw something erudite out into, you know, the ether, but... I'm basically like that scene in Ghostbusters. Well, where, very erudite. Where, right? Okay, I'm going highbrow over here, guys. Where the, um, you know, the malevolent force asked them, asked the Ghostbuster guys to pick their foe, right. and literally everyone's like, "Clear your brain." And then Bill Murray's like, "I can't help it. All I could think uh, about." Dan Aykroyd. Dan Dan, Aykroyd. Sorry, Dan yeah. Aykroyd was like, "All I can think about was the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man." Right. And then here comes like, you know, the 80 foot. So as I'm thinking of like erudite things like, oh, my God, hey, we could be getting cold fusion. There is actually a, a sieve that people are are trying to uh, perfect that could potentially make fresh water out of salt water. That sounds pretty awesome. But really, the only thing that popped into my head about anything feel good in the past 48 hours is that I was trolling cat videos on Instagram <laughs> and I found this guy okay and he put a video of how he came to adopt his kitty cat and the kitty cat he would go to this restaurant out in a courtyard and the kitty cat would come out of wherever it was hiding and he just made a beeline for this man and he would come up to the table and he would literally sit on this guy's lap and the guy would feed him food and this cat just seems to be to seemed to be totally enamored of him and finally like there's a little video of this guy walking down the street and this this adorable white and yellow kitty following him. And then next thing you know, the kitty cat is in this man's apartment. And now on his Instagram page, he calls himself Cat Dad. He adopted this little kitty. And it's literally like a love match. Love, love on both sides. And now all he's doing is posting cat videos of his newly adopted kitty cat that like came to say hi to him every time he ate. And that's literally the only thing I can think about. And it has made me happy for the past nice. 48 hours. I will not lie. I've visited his page more than once. And I've watched is, his cat videos. That is good. Speaking of cat Come videos, on, Jeff. Guys... Go for the trifecta well, have you it's have you three seen... cat related things <laughs> no i do not have a cat related one uh i have two moments of positivity the one i want about is mars related and i feel very embarrassed that every time i do a moment of positivity it's always off of our own planet at, and on, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i'm still going to talk about it because it's amazing so the mars ingenuity which is the drone that they have on the rover made its first flight uh which so Man so cool. has now flown on another planet, which is amazing, but found to be the best part because when I was reading the article about it, I found out that NASA embedded a tiny piece of fabric from the Wright brothers' original plane hide hmm. the drone. Okay. So they tied in man's first flight on Earth with man's first flight on mars and so i just found that to be awesome and so scientists may be very great at math but don't let anyone tell you that they don't have a sense of poetry because a well thought out hey multiple years in advance let's just put a piece of the wright brothers and we'll send it off as well so i That's thought that cool. was very neat um that is my, completely awesome and very erudite so the second thing, which I'm only adding in because I didn't want to talk about Mars again, uh, is 
I'm just happy that Apple's new iOS software allows users to opt out of data sharing within apps. True. And that includes Facebook. And I think that's the main one that I'm happy about is that Facebook no longer gets to use uh, data for me if I don't want to. And I think that's just, that just makes me happy because um, Facebook, in my opinion, hasn't done a lot of good things with what they, what they get from it. So. So that's our show. Thank you to Agent 13 for our theme song. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Biden's been president for 100 days, people. Democracy works if you get out there and vote. Hope everyone is staying safe out there. Until next time, so long. <laughs>